Good morning. Welcome to Northminster on this beautiful Sunday morning. Temperatures aren't quite what we had hoped for, but still it's a beautiful day. Uh, I want to say a special word of welcome to anyone visiting with us. We're particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. I also hope that you will stay after worship today for our fellowship time out in the narthex. I saw some yummy treats coming in with the ROs that we can all share in together. Also, several other announcements for you. Um, Coming up next Sunday, October 29th, and for the two weeks after that, we will have a combined adult Sunday school class that will meet in this space during the Sunday school hour, and we will be talking about Christian nationalism. And we are doing that to get ready for the Strickland lectures that will be in November. So if you are interested in coming and being part of that conversation, I highly suggest you come and join us here in the sanctuary. Also, you will see uh, on your insert that Sunday, November 19th is our agape meal. For those of you who are new, that's basically just a big Thanksgiving dinner we have together as a church family. Uh, Sign up is out in the uh, hall by my office if you would like to be here. It's a nice night. We get together, we eat, we talk about what we're thankful for. Um, So I hope you will make plans to attend. Also, you will see our beautiful flowers this morning. As always, uh, we hope you will take some of those with you after the service to brighten your day or somebody else's. And then a couple of notes uh, about our service. Um, Well, let me say this first. There will be youth tonight, so youth be here tonight. We're going to start our world religion study and start talking about Judaism this evening. And then um, as far as our service itself, you will notice that we have um, a communion anthem called, Oh, Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem. That is a very timely thing for our choir to be singing about, but I want to make it clear we're not making a statement of support one way or the other through that song. We are praying for peace, just peace for the entire region. So in case anyone read that and was uncomfortable or wondered if we were saying something through the song, choir singing a beautiful song about peace. So I wanted to make that clear. All right, with all of that said, let's take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to settle our minds and quiet our hearts. We talked in Sunday school this morning about being overstimulated people, from kids to adults. We are overstimulated people. We have phones in our pockets. We have screens all around us. The news never stops. It's rarely good, especially lately. So we need to take time to appreciate when we can slow down. So that's what I'd like for you to do. Put your feet flat on the floor if that helps you. Oh, we're listening today. I love it. And take a deep breath. And not from your shoulders. Don't pick your shoulders up. Let your belly come out. This is how musicians breathe. Breathe from your diaphragm. Breathe in, let your belly come out. You might feel a little bit like Santa, that's okay. And as you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out the distractions you brought with you into this morning's service. Breathe out all those negative voices in your head that can be so unkind. Breathe in again, again, let that belly come out. As you do, know that you are loved by God exactly as you are. Breathe out one more time. 
And then please join me in our call to worship. From generation to generation. For our ancestors, yes, and also for us here today. In the stories of old and in the story we are still living. Listen, not just with your ears, but with your whole self.
Hello. How's everybody today? Good. So who remembers what we talked about last week? Does anybody remember? Do you remember? What did we talk about? Okay. <laughs> Girls, do you remember? Did we talk about really special words that we only use at church? Yes. Yes. <laughs> We're going to do that again this week, okay? Are we ready? So remember the rules. You don't need to get up. You don't need to talk. You stay right where you are. I just want you to point, okay? I'll say a word, and I want you to point at that thing. Are you ready? Point. We struggled with this one last week, so we're going to try again. Point at the organ. <laughs> Some of us got better. That, the organ is that big instrument over there that, that Dr. Clark plays for us. You right? You see it with the big pipes, and it makes lots of pretty sounds. Okay. Point at the choir. Kids on the front row are helping too. Yeah, that's our choir right back there. Okay, point at the congregation. All those people sitting out there. Okay, point at the lectern. Are we pointing at the eagle? Yes, that's the lectern. Now point at the pulpit. This big thing right behind me. Good. Now point at the narthex. Good. We still don't have the organ down, but that is okay. We got everything else. You guys did a really good job. Everything else in here. Here are some other things that I want you to tell me if you know what they are. Do you know what a prelude is? Prelude is... It's pre-service, pre, that prefix means before, and it's music that happens at the beginning of a service. Do you know what a postlude is? No. What does that mean? Do you know? You don't know. <laughs> it is the exact opposite of a prelude. It's music at the end of a service. Oh. Do you know what a sermon is? What is it? It's when I get up and talk for a while. Yeah. And are those words that you use anywhere else in, in your life? Do you hear sermons at school? No, let's hope not. Do you hear preludes at school? No. Do you hear postludes at school? No. What about at home? Do your parents pray, play preludes for you? No. No. Do you have a narthex at your house? No. no. So again, we have these special words we only use at church. And last week, we talked about the fact that church is special, so we use special words here. But here's the other thing I want you to think about. How many of the adults do you think know all those words? It might surprise you that they don't all know those words either, do you adults? Now, I know some of you don't know what a narthex is. Because <laughs> people have asked me, where's the narthex? So here's the thing, is when you learn those words... You not only know them yourself, and that's important, but you can help the adults who don't know the words. You can help new kids who come visit our church. And if they say, what's a narthex? You can tell them. If they ask you, where's the organ? What's an organ? You can point it out and say, that's the organ over there. It's a really special instrument. So knowing these kind of special churchy words help, makes, help make you 
a translator. It means you speak church. You speak special church words other people don't know, and you can help people who don't know those words. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, I know some of you really like Pokemon, right? And you can teach people about Pokemon, right? And you know about sharks, and people know all about different things. So because you know those churchy words, when new people come in, hey, focus on me for just a second. When new people come in, you can help them learn about church. You with me? All right, good. So next we're going to say our prayer. So everybody turn around, face the congregation. Please stay seated on your bottoms. Thank you very much. Keep your hands to yourself. Sit up nice and straight and tall like you're in charge. CJ, sit up nice and straight and tall. Excellent. I'll say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now.
reading from the Gospel according to Mark. One of the scholars came and heard them debating. Seeing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The Gospel of our Lord. to mention at the beginning of the service that there has been a change to the text I'll be preaching on. Instead of the Deuteronomy passage, it will be uh, a reading from Exodus 19 and 20, and it will be the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And now let's pray together. God of love and justice and freedom, You are personally invested in our creation, and we give you thanks for your attention and care. We are grateful that you not only take notice of us, but that you come to be with us, close by, and interested in how we live. We remember today those who feel alone, as if no one cares, and we pray that your presence would be made made known to them. We pray for all those who think no one is paying attention, And so it doesn't matter what they do or how they feel or whether they're here. We ask that you would be visible and your love so obvious that they can't help but notice and know that they are beloved, wanted, and that they belong. We remember today all those people who don't have the luxury of Sabbath, who labor for others' profit, who have no choice but to keep working or to go hungry who long for a day off but can't make ends meet. Make your abundance be a reality so that all people can experience the freedom of your kingdom. We remember today those who have been victims of others' greed, who have lost lives, livelihoods, family or friends to violence or jealousy, and those who are unlucky enough to be at the bottom of the pile when the system is rigged against them. May your justice turn this world upside down and bring hope to those in despair and a future to those who see no way forward. We remember today those who were caught in the ways of this world, who can't imagine anything other than the way it's always been done, who want to believe that with you all things are possible, but they just don't see it. Reveal yourself in your kingdom of justice and peace, your way of life that overcomes death, your truth that changes everything. 
and remind us again and again of our part in your covenant story. Teach us to love you with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and to live as if your kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things and all things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, your living word. Amen. reading from Exodus chapters 19 and 20. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. A reminder of the cornerstone of our faith. Let me explain a bit about the reason for the scripture change. I got halfway through the week and realized that uh, Deuteronomy passage is echoing back the Ten Commandments, and I realized that I was spending all of my time explaining the Ten Commandments, so it seemed silly to not just use that as my main text. Therefore, the change. Thank you, Mara. She found that out when she got here this morning, <laughs> and I'm appreciative of your flexibility. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Do I have any Game of Thrones fans in the room? It's okay, don't be ashamed. It's a good show. All right. So those of you who are know that in, the game, in game of Thrones, there are men from the fictional continents of Westeros and Essos that volunteer to serve as what's called the Night's Watch. The Night's Watch lives as a self-sufficient military order that defends what is called the Wall, huge ice wall, that protects the Seven Kingdoms and patrols the Haunted Forest. If you're not a Game of Thrones fan, this is whole new language for you. <laughs> like any good military organization, joining the Night's Watch requires taking an oath of sacrifice, and it goes like this. Night gathers, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. 
I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch for this night and all the nights to come. So though fictional, the night's watch exists in a recognizable bond. These men are bonded together. And this is what theologians call a covenant relationship, which is also what we find in the Ten Commandments. So as a quick refresher, we have moved on further in Moses' story from last week. Last week, he was just discovering God, and God was speaking out of the burning bush. And now, we're a few chapters later, and we're hearing for the first time about the beginnings of a formalized covenant relationship between the Israelites and God. Now, notice I said a formalized covenant relationship, because their relationship has existed before this text. Uh, God has seen the people suffering. We heard that last week. That's why Moses gets sent to Egypt. God has shared the divine name with Moses, and by extension, the Israelites. God has shown power stronger than the Egyptian pharaoh. The people have been freed. They were led across the Red Sea into that freedom. And God has provided food and water in the wilderness. So a relationship exists, but it wasn't formalized until this point. Uh, And though nothing has been written down before the Ten Commandments, what we need to understand, what is helpful to understand about these Ten Commandments is that they are spoken into this context in which God and the people have already been in relationship for generations. The Lord, after all, is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember that for the past few weeks? The people have already obeyed some of these commandments, God has already acted on their behalf. This is just making it formal. So, let's talk specifically about these Ten Commandments. The Israelites, after they leave Egypt, eventually arrive at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same thing, and they set up camp, and they're there for about a year. So this is not a quick process. When they arrive at Mount Sinai, Moses makes several trips up and down the mountain. He's the only one that goes up and down the mountain. And then on one of these trips, the one that we heard about this morning, God announces the elements of a covenant with the Israelites. These verses are sometimes called the Decalogue, if you've heard that thrown around before. That means ten words, or as we know it, the Ten Commandments. So there are a lot of details here we could dig into. But for now, the element of the commandments I want you to understand is that in them, God outlines the aspects of a covenant relationship. Not any old regular relationship, not a romantic relationship, a covenant relationship. The Hebrew word for covenant is berit. It was transliterated B-E-R-I-T, berit. And in English, it means something along the lines of a contract. In the Bible, these covenants, these berits, are used for various legal agreements, marriages, slavery, and specifically treaties. You might already have known that. What you probably don't know, because this was new information to me, is that in the ancient Near East, scholars have discovered two widely attested types of treaties. There's a parity treaty. That's a treaty, an agreement, between two groups that are equals. Okay? Then there's a suzerian treaty. One party, the suzerian, 
is superior to the other, the vassal. So it is not an equal relationship. Those sorts of treaties usually have the following elements. Identification of the suzerain, the person who has more power. History of a relationship between the suzerain and the vassal. Stipulations or obligations imposed upon that vassal, generally detailing the requirements of loyalty to the suzerain. Provision for deposit of copies of the treaty into the temples of the principal god of the treaty. So, tablets coming down the mountain. And then divine witness to the treaty, that would be God in this situation. And finally, blessings for observance of the treaty and curses if it is violated. Now, you're probably wondering why I'm speaking legalese. Most of us are not lawyers. Uh, I think probably Craig followed all of that, but maybe the rest of us didn't. And most of us are not political scientists. But this background is important because the Ten Commandments are suzerainate, suzerainate treaty. Okay? The suzerain, the overlord, if you will, um, is who fealty is due to. And in this situation, that's God. So it begins with that identification of God. I am the Lord your God, beginning of the commandments. And a brief history of God and the Israelites. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. It then moves to stipulations for this treaty. The first four commandments detail the people's relationship to God, the vassal to the suzerain. This includes absolute loyalty. You shall have no other gods before me and specifies the way the Lord is to be worshipped, honor the Sabbath day. The six remaining commandments are stipulations that concern relationships among the vassals, among the people. Each Israelite is to respect his neighbor's life, person, marriage, legal reputation, and property, as well as care for members of the community when they age. Then there are things that are not allowed in this relationship with God. Israelites cannot fabricate likenesses of other gods. You will have no other gods before me. They are expected to set aside one day to rest because of this covenant relationship. It's part of the agreement. So another way to think about these commandments, this formalizing of a relationship, is, as the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, an announcement that the world is under new governance, which is detailed in this list of 10. So what I want to make clear, despite how it might sound, is that these aren't just rules for rules' sake. They are a means of finding freedom and justice that contrasts with the bondage and injustice that the people knew in Egypt and under Pharaoh. So in addition to being a formalization, the Sinai Covenant, the Ten Commandments, is an emancipation strategy, if you will. Follow these commandments and you don't have to go back to the insatiable demands of Pharaoh. You don't have to go back to having to produce on demand. You don't have to go back to the rat race of production and consumption, fear and anxiety and alienation, hostility towards your neighbor. Again, as Walter Brueggemann notes, Moses at Mount Sinai declares that there are new possibilities for life beyond the pressures of anxiety, and fearfulness and greed. Moses at Mount Sinai declares 
that there are new possibilities for life beyond the pressures of anxiety and fearfulness and greed. And I don't know about you, but after a rather fearful, anxious week, I find that to be really good news. But how do we respond to that good news, this lessening of fear and anxiety? What do we do with this reminder that God has been providing her people with a new way to live, a a new identity, and a way to treat strangers for a very long time? Well, the first thing we do is we recognize what Brueggemann calls the ways in which we have accepted Pharaoh's domain as normal. What he means by that is that we have normalized scarcity. We have normalized exhaustion. Anybody tired? Yeah. We are anxious and fearful, quick to judge, and even quicker to point the finger of blame rather than making a generous assumption or having a conversation. In this way, we have normalized a way of living that is in violation of the Ten Commandments. The second thing we can do in response to the good news is recognize the deep alternative Moses and the Israelites model for us, however imperfectly. The covenant relationship we see taking form in these verses isn't preoccupied with fear or scarcity or the exhaustion I just mentioned. Rather, it's about becoming a new creation, being God's people, choosing to live differently. Therefore, and this is number three, the final way for us to respond to the possibilities God presents is for us to live differently, to be intentional and disciplined, to work on giving up the expectations of Pharaoh for greed and idolatry and anti-neighborliness and exhaustion. And instead, to embrace and extend generosity to ourselves, to yourself, and others even if they might exploit that generosity. It tells us to take a Sabbath day, to take a day of rest. And I know some of you work on Sundays, I'm talking to you. And to understand that resting is not only good for you, it honors God. We can also deepen our relationships with God both personally and communally when we worship, when we serve together, when we eat together when we are the body of Christ, the people of God, together. Now, are we going to get that right every time? Uh, Of course not. The Israelites certainly didn't. But I'm convinced, as I've said before, that God appreciates our effort. God sees how we're trying even when we fail. God is generous with second and fourth and thousandth chances because this life isn't so much about being right This life isn't so much about being right as it is about trying to be like God, loving and inclusive and participatory. After all, if the Israelites teach us nothing else, may they stand as a reminder that God is patient, always waiting with an outstretched hand for us to be with her. Amen.
As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of God and the people of God. Christ invites everyone to eat of the bread of life and to drink of the cup of the new covenant, for as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger. Those who believe in me shall never thirst. In the beginning, God provided every plant yielding seed and every tree with seed and its fruit for food. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness, God fed them with the miraculous food from heaven called manna. Later, when crowds were hungry, Jesus fed over 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. And when two were walking toward Emmaus, grieving the loss of their friend and their teacher, they were joined by a third, and they recognized the anointed one as they broke bread together. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests, and Christ is the host There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures and our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated, you are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved best and trusted most. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, remember me. And then after supper was over, Jesus picked up a cup. And as he poured the wine and he blessed it, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Friends, Christ makes us the same promise. Thanks be to God.
Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste with superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. Thank you.